0: hey man believer, so t- today I know we've been um in the just in the uh hijack series, right we looked at justice and there were some other topics that we were planning on looking at, but I know as I was preparing last week on what you know the the topic it was just like nah, not right now, um just as I was studying uh like and so um. And I had Psalms 23 in my heart because I had preached Psalms 23 to the, at the mission. And it just so blessed me and God has been keeping me with it. And I'm like, all right, this is something I'm just going to share with the church. You know, we're going to, we're going to look at this uh, text with the body of believers and dealing with stress. And so, um, I'm sure we're going to get back to the hijack series and looking at the other different things that been hijacked from the body. But, Right now, I just want to stay where I feel that God is telling me to go. And so that's Psalm 23, um, talking about stress. And uh, that's what we're going to do. So today we'll look at Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. And if you were at the men's meeting like last two Thursdays ago, i kind of summarized what I'm going to be saying. But I guess we'll go in a little bit more detail. And so we'll look at Psalm 23, and for the title, Fernando, since you didn't ask me, it would be a stress buster, stress buster, a stress buster, this is my, my stress buster text, Psalms 23, verses 1-4, Psalm 23, stress buster, and I want to preface our text with 2 Timothy 3.16 that talks about all scripture being inspired by God and is profitable for teaching or reproof or correction or training in righteousness so that the man of God, person of God, will be adequately equipped for every good work. Every good work. And guess what? One of the one one of the things that stops us from every good work, doing that good work that God has called us to do as believers walking in our gifting is stress. Stress is one of those things that plays a role and it affects you walking in your calling It affects you following God. Stress, stress, stress. We have a work to do. And stress is one of those things that could get in the way of that. So let us go in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your scripture. God, may you breathe your peace upon my brothers and sisters. Lord God, as you've been helping me, Lord, through this text, God, may they learn more to trust in you as the shepherd, knowing that you are the good shepherd, that all things are in your hand, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, break that bondage, that tie of stress that is on my brothers and sisters heart lord god that impedes or stops their ability to walk fully in you to trust in you to experience your peace lord god oh god bring deliverance to your word lord god oh god bring deliverance to your word god reduce me father god speak through me god speak to your people lord speak to your people god open hearts and minds god to receive your word, Lord God. Do your word through your scripture, Lord. May your scripture be food for a belly, water for our thirsty souls, God. Help us to see you, God. Help us to see your glory to your word, Lord. God, help us to cast all of our burdens on you because you care for us, God. Oh, you are the good shepherd, Lord. Let that be clearly seen today, God. This is our prayer, Father. Amen. So today, our text, Psalms 23, call it the stress buster. And the reason I call it the stress buster text is because of Starbucks. So me saying, okay, what do you mean? Because of Starbucks, you call it stress buster because of Starbucks. Well, a, a year or so ago, my wife and I went to a funeral. So a funeral for a really young child, a six-year-old that lost her life. And on our way back from the funeral, me and my wife stopped at Starbucks. We were both a little bit under the weather, and so we're like, let's go into Starbucks and get some tea, right? So we're not really big tea connoisseurs. So we're just like, we just want some tea. We don't know what's best for a cold. But let's just give us some tea. So we went in there and talked to the barista. And we said, you know, we're under the weather. And so we, 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 we just want some tea. What tea is good when you're sick? You have a cold. And he says, Oh, you want to try the cold buster? And I'm like, cold buster. We're like, we don't see no cold buster on this menu, right? He's like, no, it's, it's one of those off menu drinks. People just kind of know about it. It's not on the menus, but it's called a, a cold buster. And he's like, yeah, you, you drink this tea and it basically busts up your cold or it helps to break your cold. So they call it the cold buster because it helps to break the cold. And so this text today, I like to call the stress buster (laughs) because it, it, when we, when we understand what it's saying here, it, it helps to break the stress in our life. And so Psalms 23 is the, the stress buster. And stress is a very important topic to discuss in America in the medical field. They call stress the silent killer. Say stress takes more lives than many other diseases because it affects your body in so many ways. You, you think it's something else, but really no, it's just stress and strain on your body. Stress. They call it the silent killer. But the question is, why do we stress, right? Why do we fret? Why do we worry and have so much anxiety? Quite frankly, as believers, I can I can only speak for believers. I can't speak for the world so much so. But for the believers, quite frankly, our stress comes from not trusting in the Lord and his promises many times. Not trusting in the Lord and his promises in the midst of our stress, we often forget the Matthew 633s of the world. The seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things will be added unto you, meaning God will take care of your housing, your food, your clothing. You just focus on seeking first the kingdom of God. But in the midst of our stress, we, we forget to quote those scriptures to ourselves. We forget that verse and we, we forget the great gospel hymn. His eye is on a sparrow. Where the songwriter says, says that if his eye is on a sparrow, I know that he watches me. That's what the songwriter says. If God's eye is on the bird, then I know he is watching me, me who was made in the image of God, me who has given my life to him, me who have submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus. If he's watching a bird, then I know he's watching me who has his image upon him. We forget those types of lyrics. We forget the Psalms 3410 where the psalmist says the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord will not be in want of any good thing. We forget those verses. We forget the promises of God in the midst of our stress and our brokenness. And part of the reasons that we forget those verses is because of the voices, the voice of the society begins to drown out the voice of the Lord, we begin to listen to friends and family members and what we're seeing on the internet and what we hear on social media and those voices begin to drown out the word of God. We listen to everything what everybody else is saying, but we don't heed the words and the wisdom of the Lord. And as a result, we find ourselves stressed out. Not listening to the voice of the Lord, but listening to all the other voices around us. All the people that look wise, that look like they have it going on, listening to what they say and how we ought to move in our lives. And we find ourselves stressed out. But the loudest voice that turns up and drowns out the word of the Lord, his wisdom in scripture, the loudest voice that drowns out what we hear preach here on Sunday and what you listen to in your sermons, the, the loudest voice that drowns those things out. Guess what? It is our own voice. It is our own understanding, leaning to our own understanding on how we ought to do things, leaning to our own wisdom, our own mind. That's the loudest voice that drowns out the word of the Lord. And so that's why we do ourselves well to take heed to what the Lord said through Solomon in Proverbs 3 5, where the Lord says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not, do not, do not lean on your own understanding. See, to. Lean on something means that what? When, when I'm leaning on a wall, what am I doing? I'm, I'm putting all of my weight, I'm pulling all of my body, all of my energy into this wall, hoping that it's going to support me and prop me up. The scripture says we are not to do that with our own understanding. We're not to lean on our own understanding on how we ought to deal with problems in our life. We're not to lean on our own understandings on how we ought to deal with the trials and tribulations in our life. The scripture says lean not on your own understanding, but he's telling you and pushing you to lean on the Lord. Lean and trust in God. That's the wisdom of Solomon. But when we don't lean into the Lord, when we don't lean in his word, when we don't take his word to heart, We lean in our own understanding, and as a result, we find ourselves, again, stressed out. Why? Because you're not leaning and trusting in the word of the Lord, my brothers and sisters, but you're looking to your own man-made wisdom, your own way of how to stick and move. And it results in no peace. So let's bust up this stress and let's enter into the peace of Psalms 23. And let's get wisdom on how we ought to trust in the Lord. So in Psalms 23, the psalmist David starts off by saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What is the first thing that we notice is here with David. The thing that we notice first here with David is that David understands and knows his position. He understands and knows his position. What am I saying? He understands that God is shepherd, meaning God is leader. And I am sheep, meaning that I follow. That is the first thing that we have to get right in this fight against stress and strain and worry. We have to recognize that God is the leader. He is shepherd. He is the one making the way. And I am just a sheep. And my responsibility is to follow. Why? Because that's what sheeps do. Sheeps follow, they they, they follow their shepherd. Jesus even picks up on this illustration and, and uses it in John chapter 10. Turn with me there to John 10. John chapter 10. We see here in John chapter 10, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Look what the Lord Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Look at 2. But he who enters by the door, guess what? He is what? A shepherd of the sheep. Guess what? To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. That's what Sister Debbie was talking about. God knows us each individually by name. He calls his sheep. He says, Jerome, he says, Paula, he says, Grandma, he says, that's my He calls his sheep by name is what he's saying here. And then it says he leads them out. And when he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them. Guess what? And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus is giving this illustration of describing the relationship of the church or people of God to him, the shepherd. And he said that I am the shepherd. And as sheep, you follow me, the shepherd. We are not the shepherd. God is. See, see, God is the shepherd. He's the one that leads. He's the one that makes the decision. It is your responsibility, believers, to not try to figure it all out, but to lead and follow your shepherd. But we don't do that. And some of us will look at this verse because we've been in church long enough. We read this verse over and over. We look at the verse about Scripture, about God being the shepherd, and we say, okay, Brother Jerome, I I read the Scripture. I get it. Yes, God is shepherd. I am sheep. Yes, I get that. Yes, you get it with your mouth. Yes, you understand that intellectually. But guess what? You don't live the sheep life. See, a a few years ago, Disney had a movie called A Bug's Life. You guys remember that? It's a movie called The Bug's Life. But as a believer, guess what? We live the sheep life. That's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is we are the sheep. And as sheep, it is our responsibility to live the sheep life and follow our shepherd and not try to lean and do things our own way and not lean to our own own understanding, but follow the shepherd as he leads. We live the sheep life. But that's not always the case because we as sheep sometimes we get shepherd syndrome or we get that napoleon complex or we get that little dog complex and we begin to take on the role of shepherd when we are no supposed to be sheep we're not the shepherd but in the midst of this life we Often try to take on that role of shepherd and not sheep. And as a result, we find ourselves stressed out when we go and try to take on the, I'm the captain of my own ship. And when we go and try to do me and live our life how we want, we find ourselves stressed out. Why? Because we're not keeping our right position as sheep. We're sheep. We follow the Lord. We don't try to go and make our own paths. When we try to go and make our own paths, that is what happens. We go astray and we find ourselves worried and full of anxiety and stressed out. That's just like the lost sheep when Jesus describes the hundred sheep and you have the one that goes astray. Remember that one where Jesus talks about a man having a hundred sheep and he has the 99 and he leaves the 99 for the one. But how did that one get lost? Jesus said that that sheep went astray In the Greek that word means he he went in error. He went off the path. So I I believe that sheep he had shepherd syndrome. He tried to go and do his own thing. He tried to go and and live his own way and, and do things based on his own understanding and found himself lost. And when you're a sheep and you're lost in the wilderness, you have no natural defenses. Do you know how you're going to fret and worry? And so the shepherd had to go and get his sheep. See, when we try to do our own thing, when we try to be the shepherd of our own life and not follow, believers, you're going to find yourself stressed out, hurting your body hurting your physical body, find yourself in knots, finding headaches upon you. Why? Because you're leaning to your own understanding, thinking you are a shepherd when you are really sheep. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I, I just think it's amazing how all major sin, you can somehow trace it back to the Garden of Eden. You, you look at Adam and Eve in the Garden. What happened? God gives them instruction. He tells them what not to eat, but what do they do? They go and they take on the role of shepherd. He says, no, you do this. But they they say, no, I take." they take on the role of shepherd and they go and do their own thing and they they take up the fruit and what happens? They are expelled out of the garden. They are separated from God. Why? Because they weren't happy in their sheep status, but wanted to be shepherd. I wanted to be like the shepherd. I wanted to lead. My brothers and sisters, we have to watch that. That is what brings us so much stress and strain. So the first rule in our battle against stress and strain and worry and anxiety is you got to remember your position. Remember your position as sheep, that God is in control, that we don't run anything, that we're not in charge of anything, that God is the sovereign. He's the one that makes a way. And oh, what a blessed thing it is to be under a shepherd. See, it is a blessed thing to have a shepherd where the pressure is no longer on you to provide. That's what, that's the shepherd's responsibility. It's his responsibility to provide. It's his responsibility to wash over the sheep. It is your responsibility to follow. See, that is a blessed thing to know that I don't have to work and strain that any success that I'm going to get in this life, any success in my job, any success in my business, any success period. We know that it all depends on the shepherd. So it's now. Not on me. The pressure is not on me. See, yes, we do the work. Yes, we go and fill out the job application. Yes, we go and meet the potential client, but whether a thing is going to be successful, whether it's going to work or not, it all depends on the shepherd. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to follow, follow the Lord, not be the shepherd. So brothers and sisters, as you go through this life, you have to remind yourself, he's shepherd. I'm sheep. He leads. I follow. He's shepherd. I'm sheep. You have to remind that you have to preach that truth to yourself. See, that's what Paul was, was, when, when Paul was preaching to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter four, and he tells them to, to preach the truth to each other in love. Sometimes we, or speak the truth to each other in love. We take that sometimes to mean that That means that I got to go. If you have like something on your face, I'm going to go and tell you in love. Now I'm speaking the truth to you in love or if your clothes are not matching and looking good, I got to go to you in love and say, brother or sister, your clothes are not matching. No, that's not what speaking the truth in love means. In the context of Ephesians 4, it was speaking the gospel, things that are true about Jesus. And what we know about Jesus, that Jesus says that I am the good shepherd. So that is the truth that you got to speak to yourself. God, you are the good shepherd. You will provide. You will make a way. That is the truth that we as sheep, my brothers and sisters, have to preach to ourselves. Preach that truth to yourself, knowing that God is shepherd knowing that you are sheep. And this is one of the distinguishing factors between a believer and a non-believer. See, believers acknowledge that they are sheep, but people in the world, they have deluded themselves into believing that they are shepherds. And so because they have deluded themselves that they are shepherds, that they are the captain of their own ship, that they are just doing me, all the pressure now is on them to make a way. All the pressures is on them to provide. All of the defenses, even though they're just sheep, is on them now. See, that's the distinguishing factor between the believer and the non-believer. We recognize our state. We come, as the text says, in humility, recognizing that, recognizing that God is leader, that he is shepherd, and that I am sheep and follow. That's what separates us. We know our position. We don't think too much, too highly of ourselves. We don't take on shepherd syndrome or we shouldn't take on shepherd syndrome, but we recognize that we are sheep. This week I was, I was listening to a podcast and it was about some business owners. They started a business, a health business in Sacramento. Um, they do organic juices. And the juice is pretty good. Um, pretty pricey. <laughs> it, it's good. Um, and in this interview, all they kept talking about is stress. We drink this juice because of stress in our life, and oh, all the stress and all the stress of this of the business. And so we drink this juice and we do all this healthy stuff because of the stress. And by the spirit of God, he, he it's like God brought me in the midst of that podcast. And I just felt they were just stressed as they, as they were doing the interview. You can tell that there was no peace there. And what the Spirit of God was showing me is that it doesn't matter how much healthy juice you drink. It doesn't matter how much yoga you do. It doesn't matter just how much healthy eating. Guess what? If you don't know your position as sheep, if you're not trusting in the Good Shepherd, your peace, your peace will never be complete. It will never be complete. None of those works alone will solve the issue of stress. Yes, it is good to have healthy eating habits. Yes, it is good to exercise and and to work out, but they will not bring or produce the victory in the battle against stress. You have to know your position. You have to know who is leading, who makes it happen. So David, in our main text, he was well aware of who makes it happen. That's why he says, the Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. And I love how David, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want, how he's so enamored. With the shepherd's ability to provide, he's so in love with his shepherd and so enamored by his provisions that in the next couple of verses, the next two verses, he just brags and boasts about the providence or the guidance of his shepherd. It's kind of like a, like a lawyer making his defense case and he's laying out the facts on why his client is not guilty. This is what David does in showing how the Lord is his shepherd and the reason why he does not want. Look at, look what he says in these next couple of verses. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Just listen to this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What are you constantly hearing at? He, 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 he. Not me, 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 me. It's all he, 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 he provides. David is here bragging how his Lord is his provider. And he, he's making it known that it is God that does it. it. It is God that does the work. It is God that provides. He, he understands that the Lord is his shepherd. So he's making it known that God is the one who's doing it. So that's why I don't have any wants. Because it's all he, he, he. It's not me, me, me. And you have to remind yourself of that, my brothers and sisters, the pressure is off of you. It's not for you to figure it out, as we say. It's not for you to make a way. That is your shepherd's responsibility. So David says, he, 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 he's the shepherd. He provides. I think about in the scriptures how the language in the Bible, when it's talking about the relationships between God and his people the, the, the image that it always or often gives is the image of a father or a parent to a little child. And it's the image of a father or a parent to a, a little child. And you see that like in, in Matthew 7. Remember when we we're going to the Beatitudes, I'm sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, when he he describes how we if, if, a, if a son comes to his father and asks for a fish and, and asks for bread, and he says, you being evil, if you know how to provide this to your child, then is God not also going to provide good? And, and in that context, you have the father or you have the little child, like a little baby going to his father and, and, and asking for this bread and asking for a fish. And Jesus makes the same connection between the people of God. When they go and ask, it's just like a little child going to his father and God is going to provide. You you find this image often of God being father, we being the little child. Or you can look at Matthew 23, 37, where Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. Look what he says. How often I wanted to gather you, gather your children together. Look, the way that a hen gathers her chick under her wing. Do you see the imagery that Jesus is saying? He's putting himself in a position of mother hen and and her little chicks as she walks, as she protects and provides for her her babies. And Jesus is using this same illustration with the children of Israel that he's going to. He said, like a mother hen, I I wanted to grab you under my wings that you would walk and be under my protection and my provision. That is what we find in the scripture, that God is this parent. This loving parent, and we are the little, little children following along this loving parent. Or you look at Galatians 4, 6, where Jesus says this, I'm sorry, where Paul says this to the Galatians. He says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba. Abbas, that, that term of endurement, like saying, daddy, mommy. He said that the spirit of his son is now in you. And so now you look at God and you go, daddy, daddy, that is the spirit of God. And you see, do you see this, this imagery that the scriptures is trying to paint for us that God is his father, this parent, and we are this little child. And just like a little child, you, you look to your father to provide. That is why we look to the shepherd. See? We have to know our position. He's the leader. We're the shepherd. I mean, we're the sheep. So David is enamored with his Lord. And so as he's beginning to brag about the goodness of his Lord being the shepherd, he says, and he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down. When you're lying down, what are you doing? You're at rest. He makes me to lie down what? It's green pastures. That's abundance. So he said that my Lord allows me to rest, lie down in abundance. So, so you're saying, Jerome, hold on. You're saying that God, if I just follow him and, and he will lead me to the place of rest and abundance, are you, are you saying if, if I just follow him, then he will lead me to the place where my soul can rest, that it's all on him? Yes. My brothers and sisters, it's not on you. The shepherd is the one, look, that leads us to the green pastures. It's not on you. He, he leads us to the place of abundance, my brothers and sisters. This is why you don't get ahead of your shepherd and trying to be the shepherd yourself because you don't know where the green pastures are. That is the responsibility of the shepherd. The sheep didn't know where the green pastures were. They followed their shepherd and he led them on. We stress because we try to figure it out ourselves, but that's not your responsibility. That's not your skill. Your skill as a sheep, sheeps, they, they follow, they flock, they have the herd mentality, they follow their shepherd, and that is what we do. The shepherd knows the green pastures. He knows where it's at. That's, that's not on you. Don't get ahead of your shepherd. It's not for you to figure it out where the green pastures are. He knows that wife that he has for you, Green Pastures. He knows that husband that he has for you. He he knows that business that he has for you. He knows that job opportunity that he has for you. Let him lead you to the Green Pastures, not you trying to do it yourself. That only leads you to more stress because that's not your position. Let him lead you to that place, my brothers and sisters. Take that weight off of you. Stop trying to lead. Cast those cares on the Lord. Stay in your position. You are a sheep. You walk on all fours. The shepherd walks on the two. He's the one that's advanced. He's the one that knows where he's going. Just like a shepherd, they're more. He's more brilliant than his sheep. Sheep have small little sheep brains, right? Compared to God, we have little sheep brains, or even probably smaller than that. But let him lead you to the place of green pastures. And here's the thing though, here's the here's the inconvenient truth right here. Is that in this life we go through seasons, right? There are seasons in our life where we are in abundance. There are seasons in our life where we feel there's trial after trial coming our way. But notice what you you see this in the text. Look look at here in verse two. And I want you to look at verse two and then look at verse four. In verse 2, he says that his shepherd makes him to lie down in green pastures. But then when you skip down to 4, what do we see? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So what we see when you compare verse 2 and 4 is that seasons change. In verse 2, he was walking through the, uh, he was lying down in green pastures. But in verse 4, he's now not no longer lying but now he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death and the shadow of death was figurative language used to describe death itself in the grave but also was language used to describe a really dangerous or perilous situation where you had wicked people around and so if you were in a bad situation that would be called the shadow of death and so we see here that David is showing us that there are different seasons of life, right? There are seasons of life where we are in abundance and we are at rest. And there's other times in our lives when we are walking through the valley. As I shared a, a couple weeks ago, I think it was, my childhood pastor, is, I still remember him preaching this. So there's hope for us, Pastor Brian. When we preached up, we preach stuff, we're like, I wonder, if they get it? When I was in high school, this was back in 2000. I remember, and I was in the world, I didn't even know, I was just doing a church thing, just ritually, and I remember my, my pastor, he had preached this text, and one of the things he would say is that in life, you are either in the valley, going out of the valley, or entering into the valley, and the point he's making is that there, you go through seasons in your life, it's not always where resting in the green pastures. There's times when we are going to the valley. Now here's the inconvenient truth, and this is a very important point, important point that I hope that you see. Some of us, right now, we are in green pastures, but we are living like we are going through the valley. (laughs) Some of us are right now, we are Lying in green pastures. God's blessing is abundant upon us. When you just stare and just look at your life, God's hand is all around us. But our mindset, it's as if we are going through the valley. And that is what we have to watch. You have to step back and really examine your life. And, and I'm saying this from experience because I had looked at my own life. I'm I'm so happy, Brother Anthony uh A., he texts me this week and he texts me to remind me of God's blessing and goodness through my family. And when he did that, I had to step back and realize Jerome, you got it good. Jerome, what are you? What are you really worried about? Jerome? Why are you tripping? Jerome? Look at God's hand upon you. I had to realize that I'm acting like I'm in a valley when really I'm in green pastures. See, there are times in life where you really will go through the valley. But there's other times where you are in green pastures. But sometimes even in the green pastures, we still have the mindset as if we are still in the valley. You are not in the valley, my brothers and sisters. Step back and look at your life. You have to examine. See, that is is one of the other things in battling stress. We not only have to know our position, but we need to know our location. Are you really in the valley right now? Ask yourself, are you really in the valley? Are you really in green pastures? You have to step back and begin to count your blessings. Step back and look at God's goodness upon your life. And what you often find is you are not even in the valley right now. There is going to be a time where you will go to the valley. But right now, you are in the green pastures. So step back, my brothers and sisters. Examine your life. Examine God's hand upon your life. Examine His blessings upon your life. Begin to recall God's goodness. And you'll see, man, I'm not even in the valley right now. I got valley mentality when I'm really green pastures. So David shows us. His Lord makes him to lie down in green pastures. And he again, he, he continues and gives us almost a parallel of this green pastures. By saying he leads me beside quiet waters. Similar thing, laying down in green pastures. Now I'm walking beside still, quiet waters. David is trying to give you a picture of the peace of, that he has in, in his confidence in his shepherd. So he said, "He leads me beside the still waters." Have you ever been to the lake in the summer at night? Ever gone to the lake in the summer at night and you look at the waters and it's just so still, so peaceful. The moon is reflecting off of the water. It's just so still. See, that's the type of water that he says that his his shepherd allows him to drink. He he, he leads his sheep along the still waters where they don't have to worry about the rapids coming. They can go up to the still waters and and begin to drink and not have to worry about uh, uh, falling in and being drowned. They can just go and walk by the still waters. He's trying to give you an image of peace. Because when the current comes... Imagine when you're, when you're walking by the lake at night with still waters. There's a big difference when you're walking past a Russian river with currents and water splashing up. You don't have that sort of peace. There's a bit of anxiety. So they have to say, no, my Lord, he lets me walk along the still waters. So, our brothers and sisters, remind, ask yourself, are you walking along still waters? Are you in green pastures? Are you in the valley? See, when you are in the midst of the valley, we have to remind ourselves that still water still exists. Even in the midst of the valley, even in the midst of the valley, we have to remind ourselves that the same shepherd that is with us in the midst of the valley is the same shepherd that brought us to the green pastures and the still waters. We have to remember the still waters. You've got to remember the place of peace in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our battling. Remind yourself of this text. Psalms 30 verse 5 says this, Weeping may last for a night, but joy, or shout of joy comes in the morning. You may be in the valley right now, but remember there's still waters on the other side. Remember there's green pastures. Remember that this weeping, remember that this pain lasts for a night, he says, a moment. But joy comes in the morning so david in this illustration of describing the provision of the shepherd and providing food green pastures lead him along still waters peace and waters that he can go and drink to his soul is full moves to another place he takes it even deeper now he says that the shepherd restores my soul so the shepherd not only has the wisdom to know where the green pastures are, David says. He not only has the wisdom to know where the peaceful paths along the stream, uh, the, the, the calm waters. He know, he not only knows how to deal with our, with our physical circumstances and the things around us. He, he not only knows how to deal with that, but he shows us that the reach of the shepherd goes beyond the temporal, goes beyond the natural. He says that my shepherd, he restores my soul meaning to restore a soul, meaning he restores my life. And if you have been walking with the shepherd, if you are born again, you know that restoration process. You have been made alive. We've talked about this. We sang about God making us alive. David points to how the shepherd has restored his soul. Believers, you have to preach that to yourself, that you are not the same person that you used to be. You were dead and now you are alive because of Jesus. So in the midst of my stress, I have to remind myself that I am no longer dead, but I am alive because of my shepherd. See, that's another major distinctive of the believer and the person in the world. The money shepherd is not going to solve issues of the soul. The career and accomplishment shepherd is not going to solve issues of the soul. The the whatever you want to call the accomplishments in those worlds, they do not have the reach of the shepherd which can go in and make a dead life, a dead body come to life. It's only. A shepherd that could do that and if you don't have the shepherd you're going to be in trouble see I mentioned earlier that sometimes in this life we for, for people who are outside of the body of Christ we often take on the shepherd syndrome and we try to lead but the other thing that people often do and we've done in the past as well is if we don't have a shepherd if we're not following the true living shepherd we're going to find some shepherd to follow I remember growing up in the church and I would hear church mothers always say this. They would say, you are going to serve somebody. They would say either God or the devil. It's the same thing with a shepherd. If we are not following the true and living shepherd, either we're going to try to get out front and be our own shepherd or you're going to follow some other shepherd. The psalmist is showing us here that the good shepherd is the only one that can reach the soul. But we got to watch it because we can easily try to turn things that are good to us, things that are good, we can easily try to turn those into shepherds. So in marriages, if we're not following the good shepherd, it's easy to turn our husband and our wife into our shepherd and look for them to fulfill the issues of the soul when they can't do that, only the good shepherd. If we don't watch it and make sure that we're following the good shepherd, which is the Lord, we can easily turn our children into our shepherds where our whole life is surrounded on following and doing for them. And they will never solve issues of the soul. They would never have that reach to solve issues of the soul. If we don't watch it and follow the true and living shepherd, guess what? We can easily turn our dreams and our goals into shepherds and make our whole life bent on following them. There are so many shepherds, so many false messiahs out there calling for our attention, saying, come and follow me. But none of them will solve issues of the soul. None of them will bring you the peace of God, only the good shepherd. And so that is why David... She says, I will not be in any one because my shepherd has to reach to go way beyond the natural and go to the point of the soul. Shepherd, he restores the soul. And I love how David transitions from the water or from the grass, the shepherd providing. To the water, to still waters, to the issues of the soul, restoring the soul, and then he says he guides me on the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Isn't that isn't that just how God does it? We are dead in sin. God comes and he restores our soul, makes us alive, and then he puts us, just like David says, on the path of righteousness for his namesake. That's what he does. He makes us new, and then he puts us on a path as we follow Jesus. Now, some of you, when we read this text, verse 3, he he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Some of y'all should start saying, ah, I know where you're going next, Jerome. We didn't just spend three sessions on it. What word does he use here? He guides me in the paths of what? Righteousness. What have we learned about this word righteousness in the Bible? What is the Hebrew of righteousness? Sedaka. This word here is sedak, meaning justice. So you can reread this verse and says that he guides me in the paths of justice. And what is justice? I'm trying to see if y'all recall what we talked about. What is justice? Justice is what I ought to do. Right? How I ought to relate to God. How I ought to relate to my brothers. How I ought to relate to the poor. How I ought to relate and care for the immigrant. How I ought to relate and care for the widow. How I ought to relate and care for the orphan. How I ought to be a voice for those who don't have a voiceless. How I ought to care for those who are being defrauded. Remember that righteousness, that justice that we looked at in in our study on justice? That is what David is saying, that his shepherd does. He puts him on a path of justice, living in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with his fellow man or woman. That's what the shepherd does. He puts him on a path of righteousness. And he says he does it for his name's sake, meaning that you didn't put yourself on the path of righteousness. God did it. The reason that you are living holy and, and following the Lord right now is because he did it. He said, my shepherd puts me on the path of righteousness. I don't put myself there. The shepherd has done it. So when we begin to battle and worry about our stress, we have to again step back of our, from our lives and realize that this new person that we are is because the shepherd is guiding me, because the shepherd is leading me. He says that the shepherd puts him on the path. Righteousness for his name's sake. Your shepherd has put you on the path. Brother Anthony, that's why you can go and love that homeless guy and, and give him the food. That is the shepherd bringing in work and working justice inside of your heart. See, he's putting you on the path of righteousness. That is why you, my sister from Young, she's not in here, but she she goes in, into the convalescent homes and, and she goes and prays with them. See, God is putting her on the path of righteousness. That is why you go and knock on doors and you tell people about Jesus. And Brother Eddie goes and preaches the, the gospel. He's put us on the paths of righteousness. The price of justice. So we look at that path in the midst of our stress and worry and we say, nah, I see God's work in me. The shepherd's still leading. (laughs) you got to remind yourself when 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 you're turning from sin, oh wow, the shepherd is still leading. See, it's, it's it's the shepherd. He's restoring the soul. Why does he do it? Why does he make us lie down in green pastures? Why does he lead us beside the still waters? Why does he restore our soul? Why does he put us on this path? Well, we looked at First Peter 5.7, which says that the Lord cares for us. So that's part of the reason why he does it why he does what he does, why he leads us, why he comes down from glory and takes on the form of human man and goes and dies on the cross and receives all of this spitting and abuse. We see that he cares for us as demonstrated on the cross. We looked at other passages in scripture where we see that God is a father and we are his children and like a good father, he cares for his children. So we also know that is why he does it. That is why he is our shepherd and leads us to the green pastures and the still waters and restores our show. He he loves us. We are his children. He is father. But David shows us the other side of the coin why he does it. Yes, we have those passages of God's love for us. Yes, we have those passages of God being father, but David shows us another side of the coin on why he does it. He says, for his name's sake, for his name's sake. What you will find is that when you read through the Old Testament text, you'll often find God throughout the Old Testament telling Israel the reason that he's going to act. It's not because they deserve it. It's not because they have merited. It. It's not based on their good works or they've done something mighty. He, he tells them the reason that he's going to call or go in action on their behalf the reason he's going to do it is because of his grace to the glory of his name. That's the reason he acts. He acts by his grace to the glory of his name. What do you, what do you mean by that? I'll give you an example. In Isaiah 48, Isaiah tells the children of Israel that this well, God says this through the prophet Isaiah to the children of Israel and Isaiah 40 and 11. He says this for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory. I will not give to another. So you see what he's connecting here. He's, con- he's co- connecting the, the fame of his name with his glory. See, the children of Israel, they had God's name on them, meaning that they were God's representatives in the earth. They were known for worshiping the true and living God. They had the the nations around them knew who they served. But because of their sin, they went astray and God allowed them to be destroyed and so God said, because my name is on you and I don't want the nations basically thinking that your God is not real. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you alive for the glory, for the sake of my name. See, ultimately, God is saying when he says my name, he's meaning my glory. That's why I'm doing it. See, when God delivers us, it should result in a praise to the glory of his grace, a praise to the glory of his name. So that is what he's trying to describe here. David is saying, the reason my God is doing it because my name is on my Lord, and he's going to bring glory to his name. So that is why the Lord is my shepherd. See, it's to the glory of his grace. It's to his name why God does it. Yes, there is a love, but when God moves on our behalf, when God redeems us, it should result in the praise to the glory of his grace. So God is, he's putting his grace and his glory on display by doing it so that you know that Yahweh did it. And it results to the praise of the glory of his grace. So he said, it's because of my name's sake, I'm doing this. I'm moving because of my name. And guess what believers you carry right now? If you are a child of God, you have God's name on you. You have his name on you. You have his promises. He put, he put his name on his promises that he's going to provide, that he's going to be the good shepherd. So you can bank on that. Why? Because his name is at stake. His, his promises, his word. So that's why we can trust in the Lord and what he says in the scripture, because his promises is tied to his name and his name is tied to his glory. and His glory he will not give to another. So, David says, it's for his namesake. They recognize I'm called by the name of the Lord. People know me as following God. It's for his namesake. He does this. So that his name will receive glory and honor as he delivers, as he takes you out of the pit, as he delivers you. It should be glory to God, glory to the Lord, his namesake. He guides. Finally, in four, David ends the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep by saying, by bringing us into the other seasons of life. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As I explained earlier, the valley of the shadow of death was figurative language, to describe death itself, sometimes the grave, but also just really suspect situations, dangerous situations, if you will, um, situation of danger and peril where the wicked would lie and interesting enough is that the use of this language shadow of death is most often used in the book of Job. That's where you will find it all throughout job Job using this language sometimes to describe death itself dying. He doesn't want to go to the shadow or he wants to go to the shadow of death or describing evil and wickedness. But here's the thing that, again, I will never forget. And this is, again, Pastor Brian, to encourage you. When my pastor preached this text, I was told you I was way out in the world, but I will never forget what he said about this. And, Mom, you probably remember it, too, about this part of the verse. So part of the stuff I'm about to say next is me paraphrasing what he said. But David says that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning when I'm going through my trials, when I'm going through my difficult situations, when life is not all breezy, when I'm not laying in green pastures, when, yes, I am dealing with some tribulations. Why? Because Jesus said in this life you will have tribulations. Remember that? But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So you are going to face some tribulations in this life. And those tribulations will feel like valleys. The valley of death. Shadow of death. But here's the thing that I want you to see. He said the valley of the shadow of death. What are shadows? Shadows are often bigger than the real thing. Do you get what I'm saying? When you're in the midst of the valley, the problem looks bigger than it really is. It's a shadow. It's not as big as it, it. It looks bigger when you're when you're going through the valley. The the bills stacked on the dresser seem that high. When you're when you're going through the valley, the problems they just seem so much bigger. But you gotta understand that they're just shadows. Shadows are bigger than the real problem. They're bigger than the real thing. But in the midst of the valley, our problems look bigger than they really are. But the shadows, and you got to remind yourself of that. That's a shadow. I can overcome that. It's not as big as my mind is making it to be. The, the, the struggle is not as bad as I'm making it to be. It's just, it's a shadow. Not only is it a shadow, but David says the reason he's not fearing is because he's walking with the shepherd. And I love what David says here. David is going to get a little gangster here, if you will. He says that my Lord, guess what? He has the rod and the staff with him. Meaning, my Lord has weapons on him. David is saying, my, my Lord is strapped. If you, if you, no, I'm trying to get you to see it. He's saying if, if you're even more from the city, he's saying that my Lord has that thing on his hip, if you will. So he's saying, I'm not worrying because my God, my shepherd has the tools to protect me. So that is why I'm not worried when I go to the valley. Because I'm not alone. The same shepherd that has took me to the green pastures and took me on the side of the waters, also walking with me through the valley so when the enemy coming, I can look at my shepherd and see his staff and his hand and his rod, knowing that my shepherd is ready for business. That you don't want it with me because my shepherd has it with him. My shepherd has all power in his hands. My shepherd just speaks a word and changes things. See. That's the shepherd you walk with. He speaks a word. The scriptures describe the word of God as a sword coming out of his mouth. Your shepherd is protected. He is strapped up. So we look to the shepherd in the midst of our dark times. We we remember our position that we are sheep, that we have no natural defenses. We don't have sharp claws. We don't have sharp teeth. We are sheep or whole hope is in the shepherd so my brothers and sisters do you remember that in the midst of the valley that you are a sheep you have no natural defenses your only hope is your shepherd who is our shepherd it is jesus that is our only hope that is what your faith has to be in the valley eyes on the shepherd eyes on the shepherd and here's the beauty of this shepherd It's one thing to have a shepherd who's strapped with them tools, who has the weapons on them. It's one thing to have a shepherd that has that. It's another thing to have a shepherd who's not only strapped with weapons ready to fight, but who's also willing to give his life for you. That's the difference. Look at John 10. Go back to John 10, and we're almost done. John 10. Look what Jesus says here in verse 11 about him being the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Guess what? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's not only strapped, ready to defend and see you through the valley, but you have a shepherd who is willing to lay down his life and who has already demonstrated it by laying down his life at the cross. He's already demonstrated his vow. He's already demonstrated his, his love. He's already demonstrated that he has you when on the cross. That was the shepherd dying for the sheep saying, sheep, you are mine. I wanted to put my life on the line for it. I'm hanging on the cross. Why? Because you are my sheep and I am your shepherd. See, he's already demonstrated that he will give his life for you. He's already shown us that he has all power. So now when we walk through the valley, we can walk comfortable knowing that I got this shepherd who's already gave his life for me. He's already demonstrated his love for me. He's already kept me. He's already shown it on the cross. That is the shepherd that I'm walking with. So why am I fretting? Why am I worrying? When even when I go to the valley, I got the one who's died for me walking next to me. The one who's sitting at the right hand of God is walking next to me. Guess what? His spirit is indwelling in me. Why do I fear in the valley? Believers, you got the shepherd with you. You got the promises of God. So we have to know in the midst of our battle against stress, we need to know our position. Sheep, we need to examine our location. Am I in the valley? or I'm in the green pastures. If I'm in the green pastures, understand you in the green pastures. We're not going in valley mindset. If you're in a valley, understand your shepherd is walking with you. Remember there are green pastures. Remember there is still water. So we remember the promises of God and the power of our shepherd. That's how we can bust up this stress thing that wants to take us out. Because believers, you got work to do. I got work to do. And we can't stay home all day fretting and worrying. We are called to be soldiers of the Lord. So let's follow our shepherd. Understand our position, location. Look into the promises and the power of our shepherd. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, my God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for these promises that we can read and put our whole hope in, promises that we can not truly lean on. Oh Lord, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the trials, God, may you remind me and my brothers and sisters of these promises. May you remind us of our position. May you remind us of our location and your power and your word that we can depend upon. God, thank you for just being our shepherd. Thank you for coming down and leading the way. Oh, God, you're good. God, I pray that you work through the word in your people's heart, Lord, that they remember who you are and who they are. Allow your word to dwell in their hearts richly, God. Remind us of this truth as we go throughout this life. This is our praise Son. Jesus' name, his name, his authority. We speak to you. We come to your throne. Amen. Amen.